I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time to drive to work. <clears throat> okay. So today, I just got back this last weekend. I was in San Diego for San Diego Comic-Con 2017. So today's podcast is all about my trip to San Diego and Comic-Con. Um, okay, so a little history. Uh, I've done a bunch of these uh, over, the, over the years. Um, but a quick, just I don't want to assume you've listened to every other uh, Comic-Con podcast I've done. Um, so way back when, when I used to live in Los Angeles, before I moved out here, I lived in Los Angeles. Um, I used to go down to Comic-Con every year. Uh, and then when I started working for Wizards, there's uh, a point where Wizards used to go to like all the conventions, and so I still used to go to Comic-Con every year. Then eventually, other stuff happened. Wizards didn't always have a booth, and so I, I stopped going to Comic-Con. And then about 10 years ago, uh, my good friend Michael, so Michael Ryan, the same person that co-created the Wesleyite Saga with me, um, he, he was working for a company that was going to be at, at Comic-Con, and so he had a room, because they had got him a room since he was going to be there, and he said, hey, I have an extra bed, why don't you come down, you know, if you, if you fly down, I got a room for us, and we could, we could go to Comic-Con. <coughs> uh, and I talked to my wife, and she said, that sounds like fun, you should do that, like, I, then I should do that. So we, we flew down, and uh, Michael and I had a great time, so much so that the next year, we did it again. Um, and then the year after that, we were going to do well, we were going to do it again, and then Michael couldn't go for some reason, so I just went by myself. Um, and after doing Comic Con for a couple of years, I was really enjoying myself. I had been to a lot of panels, and I was like, you know what? We could have a panel. Magic could have a panel. So I went to talk to Elaine Chase, who's the uh, VP of Magic, a uh, brand, um, Magic brand, and I said to her, "Look, would you mind if I did a panel?" I said, you know, I, I can run it. I, I, I've done panels before. I, you know, I'm media trained, obviously. Um, could I, would you mind if I ran a panel? And she said, oh, no, no, that sounds great. You can run a panel. So I set it up. And then they came back and said, you know what? You know what? We should, we should, let's do this right. And so they sent down a bunch of other people. So the panel had a whole bunch of people on it. Um, and for five years, we did a big panel. Um, but as things happen, we, you know, priorities move around and they decided, you know, okay, may, maybe we shouldn't do a giant panel at Comic-Con. Uh, and so they can't, you know, they said, okay, this year we're not going to do a panel. So uh, once again, uh, I went to Elaine. I said, Elaine, I'm going to go to Comic-Con. Even, even if, you know, even if Wizards doesn't send me to Comic-Con, I'm going to go to Comic-Con. I enjoy going to Comic-Con. Um, and if I do, um, I, would, I would have fun. Let me... Way back in the beginning, I was going to do a panel by myself. Let me just do a panel by myself. And she goes, oh, okay, sure. So starting last year, I did a solo panel, um, which I called Blogatog Live, which is named after my blog. Whenever I do a panel by myself, I call it Blogatog Live because my blog, obviously, people ask me questions. So it's like, it's kind of like that, except live. Um, and so uh, last year I did that. And this year I continued the trend. Um, and so... I had some fun stuff to talk about this year, so we'll get to the panel. But uh, anyway, so this is my second solo year. Um, now, the way it worked is Hasbro, uh, Wizards doesn't have its own booth, but it has a wall in the Hasbro booth. So if the Hasbro booth, there's one wall dedicated to magic. Uh, this year, it had a giant Nicole Bolas like, mural, the whole wall. Um, and then we had a, a glass display case that showed off our devastation, the, the set currently on sale. Uh, and it showed... Um, there's a Nicole Bola statue coming, I think, later this year, and it was an early version of it. It wasn't even painted yet, um, but it was a model to sort of show it. It was really cool. 
Um, and of course, we always have a exclusive. Um, this year's exclusive was uh, six cards. So it was the gate watch, so, uh, or the main gate watch. Uh, so it was Gideon and Jace and Liliana and Chandra and Nyssa and Nicole Bolas um, in the latest version of the cards. So it was the Nyssa, uh, Gideon, and Liliana from Amon Cat, uh, Nicole Bolas from Hours of Devastation. It had the, um, the Chandra from the Kaladesh Chandra. Uh, and then um, I think Jace was from Shadows of Indestruct, because that's the last time we printed Jace. Um, and what we did was they were the same cards mechanically, but they had a different treatment. And so the art was made to look like they were carved into stone, like, like they were kind of like hieroglyphics. And then you see that Nicole Bolas is carving them into the stone is the idea. Um, and then along with the six cards, there was a poster. We worked with, I think it's called Mondo. I hope I didn't, I didn't get that wrong. Um, and it, what it was is we printed on a magic sheet. So the back of it is actual magic backs. If you've ever seen a magic sheet. The way we make magic cards is we print them uh, using an 11 by 11 on a sheet and then we, we cut them up. Um, so this was a magic sheet. The back are magic backs. And the front was this really cool poster of Nicole Bolas. Uh, it is white and black. Po- it's a white and black poster with gold overlay. It looks very cool. Um, anyway, um, so that was the exclusive this year. Uh, and um, uh, the way the booth works, Hasbro booth has one part, one big booth that's for showing things off, and then one big booth that is uh, the shop where people um, can wait in line to get tickets and come to the shop and stuff. That's where you can get the magic exclusive. Anyway, um, so Wednesday night is always uh, preview night. Uh, it's what I call the, the good shopping night. Because um, the way it works is people bring stuff to sell. Now, some people allocate it, like uh, Hasbro shop, we allocate stuff for each day. So if they sell out one day, there's stuff for the later days because it's allocated. But most of the people selling at Comic-Con is like, they bring stuff, when it's gone, it's gone. And so sometimes you want something, and if you don't buy it early enough, then it's not there. Um, like there's a t-shirt I'd found for my daughter and like I didn't get there fast enough. The, 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 she needed a small and they were out of small. So no shirts for, I mean, I got another shirt for my daughter, but n- none of that shirt. So anyway, Wednesday's preview night. Um, so I went and ch- checked into the booth. Um, we had a small contingent this year, just two brand people, a PR person and me. Um, and so I checked in and, uh, at the booth they were giving away little, uh, like, have you ever been to, like, Burger King? They have, a little, like, a little paper crown. Uh, it's kind of like that, except they were bolus horns. So it's a little paper crown bolus horns that you could get. Um, and the idea is you could use it for, you know, take the crown, or you, you like to trust up like bolus, whatever. Uh, we were giving those away. Um, and so I went to the booth to say hi. And while I was there, I... So one of the activities, and I'll talk to you when I get there, was on Saturday, um, I had, um, spending some time, there was... Um, a, a boy named Ty who was there for Make-A-Wish uh, and his his big wish was to come to Co- San Diego Comic-Con and um, he uh, particularly liked magic uh, and so the way for those that don't know uh, Make-A-Wish the way Make-A-Wish works is they the kid gets to ask for something they had a wish uh, and then they try to set up something special for the kid that's a surprise that the kid doesn't know about um, so he was really into magic, and his family wanted, he wanted his family to come to Comic-Con. He wanted them to dress up in costume. So on Saturday, um, he was Sarkin. Uh, his brother, who also plays magic, was Soren. His mother was Liliana, and his cousin was Jace. 
Um, and the local chapter of uh, Make-A-Wish had worked with a seamstress there to make the costumes. Anyway, um, I ran into them on Wednesday night, and I'll get into... Saturday was my day with them, so I'll, I'll, we'll get there. Um, okay, so Friday night... I've said Wednesday night was mostly me... Uh, a, a good chunk, one of the fun things about going to San Diego Comic-Con is I have responsibilities and I take those very seriously. But a lot of the time I just get to go around Comic-Con, which is very fun. So um, it's, it's a, one of my favorite trips of the year. Okay, so Thursday, um, my response, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities on Thursdays. I, there's a, a few interviews I had to do. So one of my responsibilities is we, have a, we always have a PR person go and they line up different press and stuff. Um, usually on site, I'm doing more uh, what we call niche press or, or press that's more about people in which gaming is part of what they normally cover. Um, it is very, very hard at Comic-Con to get the mass, what we call mass press, because there's so much giant stories going on that it's hard to compete with, oh my God, there's a brand new Marvel movie or whatever. You know, it's hard to compete. So... A lot of what the show is about is doing the, some of the smaller stuff, more focused things, and then making contacts with people that you can, down the road, sort of do things. But there are a lot of um, interviews that I, I will do with you know, um, people who are more game-focused. Um, so I did a couple interviews on Thursday. Uh, the rest of the time, I went to some panels, and I did some shopping, and I, I walked around. Anyway, I had fun. There, there's, a, there's a lot. Uh, Comic-Con has all sorts. Of, there's, there's so much going on for those that have never been there. Um, the big thing this year, which I actually didn't do much of, is what they called experiences, where you got to go in somewhere and experience something. Uh, there's a Blade Runner one, Blade Runner 2049, where you got to like come in and experience what it was like um, in the future. So sort of like a, the idea is it's a set in which um, they're actors and there's all the stuff to sort of make it exactly like what you know. Um, and you get to interact with the actors who are all in character. Uh, there was a Stranger Things one, I know, where you could, like, be in the house. Um, uh, oh, and the, the, there was a super fancy one for Westworld, where only 150 people a day got to do the experience. Uh, and then they treated you like you were in Westworld. Anyway, anyway. Um, I, I had some, I, I know people that did some of these, so I heard stories from some of them. Um, and so there was all that stuff. Um, there were a bunch of panels. I had a chance to see a bunch of panels. Um, it, it is a golden age. Uh, to, to be aware, for those that don't know this, I, I am a huge comic book fan. Um, the reason the reason that I went to Comic-Con, you know, for example, when I lived in Los Angeles, which was 20-plus years ago, when I went there, it, it wasn't that they didn't talk about some movies, but usually uh, it was about, like, a comic book movie or something. Uh, it was very much more... It, it had a little more of a comic book edge to it. Uh, the mass media has definitely sort of taken off and while there's still plenty of comic book things and I, I tend to like to go to the comic book things um, there are still there's lots of other things and um, uh, we are now in a golden age of comics in mass entertainment like one of the things that I, I've made an effort to do is I actually watch all or most the comic book TV shows and just because I grew up with the comics and I, I really I, I enjoy it and I I get all the references, and it's fun for me. Um, and they just keep adding more. Like, uh, for example, coming new ones, starting now, they were at Comic-Con. I mean, all of them were at Comic-Con, but... Uh, so, The Gifted, I sat on, I saw The Gifted. The Gifted's an X-Men spinoff. Um, there's The Gifted, there's Inhumans, there's Krypton, there's Black Lightning. Uh, there is... I think there's like five or six new... Um, 
comic book adaptation things. Um, uh, the Defenders is coming out. The, anyway, there's there's endless number of them, uh, and I watch them all. So it is. I, I'm backlogged right now, trying to watch all the comic book things that I want to watch. It is an embarrassment of riches for someone who loves comic books. Um, anyway, so that was Thursday. Okay, so Friday, Friday morning, I did a signing at the booth at the at the Hasbro booth. Uh, so the way the signing works is that um, for one hour you're at the booth, um, and so. Uh, we were handing out the horns again, and then people could come, and I, I would sign things, and I would take pictures with them, and I would talk to them a little bit. Um, but anyway, it is fun for those. Uh, I, I've talked about this before. One of the neat things of kind of being a celebrity, but in a bubble, like a, like a you know uh, an E-list celebrity, whatever you want to call it, um, is that there there are moments in time where I, I get to be the rock star, if you will. And and signings are one of those times where it, it's just fun. Like, there's people who are really excited to see you. And, you know, I, I get a lot of people talking to me about the impact magic has made on them and how much they love magic. And, you know, they'll talk about different things. And that's... There is no greater joy, as far as rewards for my job, of just seeing people happy and seeing people tell me the impact that the game has had on their lives and how, you know, how positive it's been and stuff. So that is awesome. I always love doing signings. Um, if you happen to be, uh, go to HasCon. I will be doing signings at HasCon. Um, I don't get out. I mean, I don't travel all that much. So I'm not in, I mean, I, I go to events in Seattle. But if, you're, if you live in Seattle, seeing me at an event, magic event is not that big a deal. I do it all the time. Uh, but if you don't live in Seattle, other places in which you don't normally have a chance to interact with me, uh, I know that's a bigger deal. And so I try to make sure whenever I go someplace that I can do that kind of stuff. So it was fun. I liked doing the signings. Um, and uh, the other thing that's really funny, by the way, at the booth is that uh, when you start, what happens is, is it's all the people that came to see you. So you get all the fans in the beginning. And, uh, and I try to take my time, but you know, um, there's just a lot of people there. So it, it goes quickly. And then, at some point, you've, you've a lines run out. Now you're just waiting because you have a full hour, you know. So, like, the first half hour was, you know, sign, sign, how you doing, talk to people. Uh, and then it slows down a little bit. So then you get to the part where uh, people who are coming up are not necessarily magic players. They're just in the booth, and they see that there's someone signing, and they're like, oh, someone. And so then you start getting people who are just like, I don't, I don't even know what this is, but I'm going to get you sign my crown sort of thing. Um, and that's fun because I get to to people like who don't really know magic. It's a very different experience, but it is neat to sort of talk to them, and you know, we'll get a lot of kids and stuff. Um, and then at the end, I tend to get people who uh, saw the social media that I was there, so they weren't there right on time, but they got there before it ended. And so it's sort of like a bunch of magic players, some non-magic players, and a bunch more magic players. Um, and once again, signing was awesome. There's a there's a little slip they they put out to tell you that there's a signing. Um, last year, the slip mistakenly listed me, uh, instead of head designer, it listed me as, um, what was I? I was like uh, lead art director or something, which not only am I not, I've never done anything remotely like that. Um, and I I, te- I teased them last year. Not that I didn't care. I, I just thought it was funny. Um, and so this year, like, okay, we've got to get it right. And so they made sure that it actually said head designer and not uh, lead art director on it. Okay, so Friday, I, I got to do more Comic-Con stuff. Um, okay, Saturday was my busy, uh, my busy day for Magic. Um, so first off, um, I had... Uh, so I met with Ty and his family, so it was Make-A-Wish. Um, so the way it had worked was 
uh, Make-A-Wisher contacted us a, a month ago or something, and basically what they had said to us is, hey, we have an opportunity, we would love for you to be involved, and we, just for the record, uh, we, t- we, we interact with Make-A-Wish every once in a while, never turned down Make-A-Wish, never have, never will, um, awesome organization. Um, usually, though, in the past, when someone makes a wish, often it's to come to Wizards, so we set up a tour and stuff at Wizards, um, and so this, um, this was different than that we were somewhere else. Um, but anyway, he liked playing Commander, uh, and we found out they liked zombies, and he liked black. So what we did is we made two Commander decks. Uh, I had um, Pete Ingram, one of the R&D folks, I had him make me two decks. One was a Gisa deck, and uh, one was a Garolf deck. So th- th- for those who don't know, um, they're a brother and sister in Innistrad. She's a Necromancer, he's a Stitcher. So they both make zombies, but one's black zombies and one's blue zombies. And the joke is they fight about what the best zombies are. But anyway, I knew he liked zombies, so, and I knew he liked black, so he, he played Gisa. We gave him choice, but he played Gisa, Gisa and I played Garolf. And we had a black-on-blue uh, match. Um, and so it was fun. It was dramatic. Um, so in the first game, it was really close. I was at, like, six life. And he has, like, I don't know, like eight creatures on the board. And I get uh, Cyclonic Rift. I'm able to bounce it. Uh, it's a spell that you can... Um, it's from... Return to Ravnica from Izzet. And it over, had overload. So it, it's bounce, bounce one of his guys or all of his guys. So I, was able, I had enough mana to bounce all of his guys. Uh, and then when he brought him back, he was able to get me down to two life. But I was able to win that game. It was very close. So then we played game two. Uh, and the reverse kind of happened in game two, which was I got him pretty low. Uh, and I was like a turn or two away from winning when he beat me. So then Ty won the second game. So we, uh, we split 1-1. And we did a lot of cool stuff. We brought a lot of fun things for him. Um, we had an artist that did a special sketch for him. We had a giant Nicole Bolas card that we'd given him. And um, anyway, there was a bunch of different things. One of the coolest things also is we gave him a bunch of Amon Get Packs uh, and Hour of Devastation Packs. And he opened up his Amon Get Pack and got the Force of Will Invocation, which I was trying to explain to his mother how rare that is, like how, how, the, how the chance of that happening is so slight. Um, but anyway, uh, so Ty, I believe, I've told had a really, really good time. I'm happy. Um, it, was, it was a pleasure. It was fun always to do stuff like that. And uh, Ty and his family were all super nice. And um, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun playing with Ty. It was really cool. Okay, after that, I had to go back to the booth uh, to meet uh, Dana Fisher uh, and, and her, her dad, Adam. So for those that don't know, uh, Dana Fisher managed to go five and four uh, in Las Vegas this year in Modern. Uh, the cutoff to day two is six and three. So one match shy of making the cutoff for day two. So why, why is that impressive? Well, you need to know that Dana is six years old. Uh, her dad taught her when she was three. In fact, the day after I met her, um, she turned seven, so now she's seven years old. Um, but anyway, she, she's a six-year-old magic player, now a seven-year-old magic player. Uh, uh, she was dressed as Nissa, really cute, um, and I had a chance to interact with her and her dad, and she was she was really smart and a really cute little kid, and um, she loves magic. The next day was her birthday, and she wanted to spend it playing magic, and I think she had like a really good record. I think it's like she, it's something like she went 18, 6, and 1 or something, like really, like a, like a she's a good magic player, um, and, and her goal, her and her dad's goal is she, they want to see if she can make day two at, at a Grand Prix, and she almost did it. In modern, in Las Vegas, she was one match away. 
Uh, I think she's going to do it. They, they want, she wants to be the youngest person to ever do it. And we were trying to figure out how young. We thought that maybe it was 10 years old. Um, and we don't have stats quite like that, so we're sort of using memories and stuff. Anyway, um, that was awesome. Uh, and so what happened was um, <coughs> she walked back with We went up to the panel. So my panel was on Saturday at 6.30. Um, we had a room that held about 500 players. We filled it up. Um, so this year, um, every year sort of we, we, can, we, we talk about different things. And usually I go to all the brand managers and I say, hey, is there anything you want me to talk about? Um, and so this year, one, the brand manager who said yes was the unstable brand manager, um, Adam's his name. And so one of the things is unstable is something we haven't done in a long time. Unhinged came out in 2004, which is 13 years ago. Um, and we want to do a little roll-up to coming out because we wanted people... Well, what we wanted is, A, if you loved the old unsets, we wanted to reassure you that this is a fun thing that you will enjoy. If you didn't either know about them or like them, we wanted to say, look, this is a little bit different. We're using some modern technologies. You know, while this has a lot of the fun of the originals, it's, it's a bit different. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the differences. Um... So what happened was, uh, I started by showing off a piece of art, one of my favorite pieces of art of set, of, of a raccoon turtle creature selling uh, squirrels out of his trench coat, which is an awesome art. All this art, I believe, is up now on our site if you want to go take a look on it. Um, or it might be, we might put it on social media. It's, anyway, it's out there. Uh, I'm sure if you, there's people who will be collecting the art. Um, uh, okay, number two, after, oh, so then I said, okay, I want to show you a card. Uh, I, got, I said I wanted to show you guys a card from the set, um, but I got two caveats from, from my brand manager. One is I couldn't show a silver border card, which is a lot of the set, and the other is I couldn't show a land. So I told people that, yes, 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 we're doing four land. Uh, John Avon did the art. Um, we're doing something special with it that we had talked about doing in the past but didn't do. Um, but I did have one card that I could show you that both wasn't silver bordered and wasn't a land. And that's when I revealed the unhinged, I'm sorry, the unstable version of Steam Flugger Boss. So for those who don't know, Steam Flugger Boss was a card in Future Sight, a future shifted card from the future. And we thought it was really funny to make a card that just made up terminology. Meaning it just, like, we, we just thought it was funny. We went through a whole bunch of different versions. Like, I remember there was a version like, all Splorgs get plus one, plus one. What's a Splorg? Uh, and then eventually we settled on um, whenever, a, uh, whenever a creature erects a monument, instead it erects two monuments. And then uh, I remember editing was like erect. Really, do you want players erecting things? And we changed it to assemble, uh, assemble a contraption. Um, and the idea from us was it was just goofy. It was just like haha. It's referencing something that doesn't exist. It was meant to be a joke. Um, but then Aaron, Aaron Forsyth, and he, he was doing the development comment at the time, revealed that it was a joke that we had no intention of doing it. It was just, ha-ha, it was a joke. And that triggered the audience. They're like, what do you mean you're never making contraptions? And it just became a running thing. That you have to make contraptions. Are you making contraptions? Is this contraptions? So I vowed at one point that before I retired, I would do contraptions. That as, as a, a, a bucket list goal, as a you know, bucket list, as a magic designer. Um, by the way, I didn't say I was going to retire once I did it. I said I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't retire until I did it. Which now means 
I'm allowed to retire. Not that I'm going. I have no plans to retire. But I, it, for those that somehow thought that once I make them, I, I'm forced to retire. That is not what I said. Um, anyway, so um, people have been wanting us to do contraptions. I tried for a while to figure out how to do them in Black Border. And early on in working on Unstable... Oh, so the Unstable story is back in 2011, in fact, January of 2011... Um, there are uh, two other people, a guy named Mark Globus, who works in R&D, a guy named Mark Purvis, that works in brand. They're the three of us, uh, which I call, we're part of the Council of Marks, um, want to make the set happen. So we decided our plan of action was, let's make the set. Let's just design it. And then once we have a finished product, it's a lot easier to say to people, hey, well, we, we have it. Why don't we just put, you know, why don't we just release it? Um, so we started it back in two, early 2011, when my daughter was in, eldest daughter was in fifth grade. She'll be a senior when it comes out. Um, and early on, while experimenting with stuff, I came up with an idea for contraptions that was a little out there. Um, something that we, something that would have been a hard sell to do in Black Border, but uh, it was clearly something that we could experiment with. So, trying something, something cool, I came up with a way to execute it that I, I think is a slam dunk execution. Because uh, my goal that if I was going to do contraptions, what I wanted was you to say, oh man, that is a contraption. Not, well, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess if I squint, I, I, I guess I can imagine it's a contraption. Um, and so I, I came up with something that I really liked. Um, and anyway, I then talked about how we wanted to do something cool. Uh, we wanted a world. We wanted a cohesive creative treatment to it. Uh, and so we came up with this idea of this kind of mad inventor world. And there were five factions that invented things for their own reasons. So at the, um, at the panel, I showed off the five factions. So the white-blue faction are the cyborgs, what we call the Order of the, Spri- uh, the, Order of the Wicked. Order of the Wicked? Order of the Wicked. Um, and they are sort of esper to a silly degree. Uh, they are people that are constantly using their technology to improve themselves. So they are like part people, but part machine, because they're constantly upgrading themselves. But they're upgrading themselves in the most uh, sort of <laughs> humorous fashion. So, for example, the philosophy of them would be something like, well, why would I need a toaster if my left hand is a toaster? So they're constantly replacing parts of their body with things they think are functional. Uh, and they're turning themselves into, like, these robots. They're, they're cyborgs, because so there's still a little bit of humanity there. But, uh, but like I said, it's kind of like what Esper was up to, but a little less serious. Um, then blue black is the agents of sneak S period, N period, E period, A period, K period uh, and they are spies and they use the technology to make cool spy apparatus although they are the worst spies in the world uh, although they do have cool gadgets um, then black and red is the league of dastardly doom those are the supervillains. Uh, they have their death rage and their weather machines and their apocalypse devices and they're just they want to take over the world or enslave the world or steal the world or whatever. They, they each have their own thing. But there's a whole bunch of supervillains that are trying to uh, do villainy. Um, then we have red-green is the Goblin Explosioneers. Uh, this is where we put the, um, where we put the steam floggers. Um, one of the things, by the way, is... Well, let me finish this and I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, and then finally, we have the Crossbreed Labs, which is green and white. Um, crossbreed labs are creatures who believe that the solution for peace 
is to embrace all creature kind. And so what they do is they make they they let people be any parts of animals they want to be. And so like the art that I showed off was a, a, a scientist that was part monkey, part spider, part jungle cat. She had a jungle tail, um, but you get it. She was a spider monkey. Uh, anyway, the one of the things we did for for this thing is we brought in people to actually do a world concept. Like we do an any set, uh, and the artists were in and had a blast. Um, just seeing all the stuff they came up with, and I'm sure we'll show up some of the concept art when we get closer to the project, uh, to the release of of, of the set. Um, but anyway, they had a blast, and the crossbreed labs particularly are, are just the idea is I'm part this animal, part that animal, part this animal. So one of the questions I got, by the way, was why are these allied, not enemy? Uh, for example, Mad Scientist World seems very is it, and uh, Crossbreed Labs people felt very simic. Uh, and the answer was twofold. One was that I really, the, the, I wanted the steam floggers there. That's the whole point of contraptions is building a world which the steam floggers were there. Um, most of the sets are monocolored, so whatever two colors you put them in, you have to make monocolored versions of them. And I, eh, I really wasn't up for mono white or mono blue goblins. Um, plus, th- these goblins are not smart. Uh, they are sort of experimenters on the lowest end, which is kind of like, we're going to just slap together crazy stuff and breed fast enough that we don't wipe out our race. Um, uh, the goblins, the goblins, like I said, they're a little obsessed with hammers. And they're, and they're, they're not about orderliness. They're, they're about almost like... Uh, a sort of a chaotic quality to them. And that really felt red-green more than anything else. So once one of them was red-green, it pushed t- toward allies. I mean, cyborgs in white-blue made a lot of sense. The spies in blue-black made a lot of sense. The supervillains in black-red made a lot of sense. Um, the reason that the Crossbreed Labs is not Simic is Simic is all about change for the sake of change, where the goal of the Crossbreed Labs really is, you know, they're not... They're not out experimenting. They're not trying to find the latest thing. They really just have a technology, and they're sort of abusing this technology for their agenda. And their agenda is is, is a very white agenda of trying to create peace through acceptance. And sort of, I mean, white means green. It's peace through acceptance. It's sort of like, well, can't we all get along if all of us are part of every, you know, if I'm part of this and part of this and part of that, how discriminating, how discrimination, how discriminating can I be you know, I can't discriminate against others if I'm four different things myself. Um, and so they have a, they have, their philosophy is very green-white. Um, they, they very sort of band together. And it, it, it is not a Simic sort of feel to it, even though I get that Simics do a lot of mutation. Um, but this is less, less mutation for experimental sake, which is the way Simic tends to do things. Uh, anyway, I showed off, I showed off all the, the unstable stuff. Um, and then I answered questions. Then it was time for me to answer questions. Um, it's one of my favorite parts of doing the panel. And uh, I got asked all sorts of things. One of my favorites is Dana uh, asked a question. Her dad got in line. And her, she started her question by saying, so I've been playing Magic half my life. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Um, she asked me how Nyssa came to be. So I explained that Nyssa actually first existed on the packaging of Duels of the Planeswalkers. And we just thought that was a really cool image and said, we have to do something with this. Um, and originally, she was made to be a villain. That was the original plan. Um, but when we made the Gatewatch and needed a mono-green character, because uh, Garrick had just turned, uh, uh, gone evil, uh, we didn't have any choices of a mono-green planeswalker other than Nyssa. So we sort of changed her character a little bit um, and sort of made her more of a hero and less of a villain. Um, 
sort of had her learn from her mistakes to sort of go a more heroic path. Um, but anyway, so I did my panel, and then I um, afterwards I stayed after, and I, I signed a lot of autographs and took a lot of pictures and answered a bunch of questions. Um, uh, and then uh, the tradition whenever we go to Comic-Con is we go, uh, we have a staff dinner at this seafood place that's really, really good. Um, and I always get uh, crab, because I love crab, Lost and King crab. Uh, so the funny thing is I order a pound and a half of crab. This is a quick story before I go. Uh, I order a pound and a half of crab, and they bring me a plate. And it seems like a lot of crab. And so my first thought is, oh, did I misremember how much crab I'm supposed to order? Like, am I supposed to order a pound of crab, and I order a pound and a half? Um, and then they bring me a second plate, which is not quite as big, but close to the size of my first plate. And then I'm like, oh, okay, did I, wow, did I really misjudge? I, I go, that doesn't, I'm pretty sure when I eat crab, that's about how much crab I eat. And then the waiter comes by and starts laughing. He goes, oh, somebody made a mistake. So instead of bringing me the pound and a half of crab I ordered, they mistakenly brought me three and a half pounds of crab. So much crab was had, not just by me, but by my table. Uh, and I had a great time. It was fun. And then time to come back home. So anyway, I had an awesome time at San Diego Comic-Con this year. I loved meeting everybody. I liked meeting the fans. I had fun. I, the panel was a great thing. The Make-A-Wish was lots of fun. Uh, meeting Dana was great. So all uh, the uh, the signings, everything was a lots of fun. And Comic-Con, of course, was lots of fun itself. So anyway, that, my friends, is the exciting story of San Diego Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con 2017. But I'm now parked. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.